You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, but before we begin, I wanted to highlight some things going on in the world. Um, and so here's a sampling of some of the things that were in my Twitter feed uh, uh, this week. Uh, or as we used to say in the old days, uh, here's some headlines uh, from, from the, the, uh, the past week. Um, listen to the diversity of these headlines. Uh, 35% of Americans have no opinion of Benjamin Netanyahu, including 23% who say they've never heard of him. All right. So if you are part of the 23% who have never heard of him, he's the, he's, is the Israeli prime minister who is actually speaking to our Congress on Tuesday in a controversial uh, speech. Another headline, uh, light from your smartphone may be causing you to get a worse night's sleep. And so if you doze off in the sermon today, it's not my fault, right? You've been checking too many emails in bed, that's your problem. Ringside tickets to the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight in May, May 2nd. Uh, are going to require a $250,000 credit line uh, with MGM Grand, and the cheapest tickets in the arena will sell for $1,000, right? So I haven't decided if I'm going yet, but uh, I'm still thinking about it. Uh, Russia's president, Vladimir uh, Putin, uh, says war with Ukraine would be apocalyptic, but it's unlikely. (laughs) It's comforting. It's either the end of the world or it's not going to happen, and I'm hoping they're not going to happen. In other news, the dress is blue and black, all right? (laughs) You know it is. It's definitely blue and black. According to one new report, the best tech cities to work in are number three, Tel Aviv, number two, San Francisco, and number one, Austin. All right, congrats to all you techies. All right, you have, you have arrived in tech mecca. It's, this is where you live. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey remained on top of the box office last weekend, uh, while Hot Tub Time Machine 2 bombed in at the box office, uh, because clearly we have our standards uh, when it comes to movies. ISIS threatens to murder 150 Christian hostages if U.S. airstrikes continue. And you know that 21 Christian, Egyptian Christians were, were martyred by ISIS last week, and they have since kidnapped 150 other men, women, and children. It's horrible. It's kind of hard to summarize, isn't it, and make sense of the times in which we live Like, if you just read the headlines, you get this barrage of disconnected, unconnected information coming at you. Uh, You get everything from the serious just to the silly, right? You get everything to the really important uh, to the insignificant coming at you. And so how do we interpret the time in which we live? What kind of times are these? Are, Are these good times that we're living in? These bad times? Are these dark days or are they days of brightness? Days of hope. And then a better question is, as Christians, how are we supposed to live in times like these? In Romans 13, Paul introduces this idea of understanding the present time. And I think he wants to lift our eyes so that we might uh, begin to see things more clearly. Uh, He wants us to know that there's more going on in our time than we would just get from the headlines, than, than we would just get from our Twitter feed. Uh, In fact, all that stuff, I think, has a way of uh, just becoming clutter that really distracts us from the most important realities uh, in our time. Uh, As Christians, we need to begin to think about time from God's perspective. We need to to get on God's calendar because God has done something in time in the past, 
and God will do something in time in the future. And, and those two things that bracket our lives are really the most, they, they shape our lives and they shape the way we live maybe more than any other two things. I don't know if you remember how this section of Romans began, the application section of Romans, which starts in Romans 12. It's the application of the gospel. Uh, look over, uh, just for a second, look over at Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 the beginning of the section that we've been in. This is how Paul begins this section, Romans 12, 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. In other words, in light of all that God has done in the past through Jesus to show his mercy and grace to you, I appeal to you based on that to do something, to present or to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or your reasonable worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world. Literally, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this present time. Don't be, don't be worked in and molded into the pattern of this time. Don't be a chameleon that just changes into the color of this time so that you look just like everyone else and live like everyone else. But instead, be transformed. Like undergo a metamorphosis like a butterfly by the renewal of your mind. So what those two verses are saying is, in light of what God has accomplished in the past, give yourself to God and live differently in the present. Be changed in the present. Be changed by God in all the ways that we've seen in Romans chapter 12 and 13. Think rightly about yourself. Use your gifts for the good of others. Love others without hypocrisy. Bless those who persecute you. Don't retaliate. Love your enemy by serving them. Submit to authority as if you were submitting to God. Don't owe anyone anything except for to love them. And so the bottom line of those two verses are that the Christian life is a life of love. The Christian should live a life of love. Love for God and love for other people. And now we come to the end of this section, at the end of chapter 13, and Paul brings up the time. He brings up the present time in which we live. Look at verse 11 of Romans 13. Paul says, besides this, you know the time. In other words, beside everything else I've been talking about in, in chapter 12 and chapter 13, you know the time. And then he's going to tell us two things we need to know in this text. Number one, we need to understand the time. In fact, we need to understand something very particular about the time. And then we need to live in light of the time. All right, those are the two things we're going to talk about. So let's talk about understanding the time first, starting there in verse 11. We need to understand the time. Let me read the beginning of verse 11 again. Paul says, besides this, you know the time. Now, most of us know precisely what time it is. It, no matter what hour of day it is, right? We, we carry around devices that are always syncing up with the world clock so that we can know what time it is wherever we are. If I wake up in the middle of the night, uh, I, I, can, I can look over at my phone, which is probably the reason I'm awake because I've been looking at my phone in bed and the blue light and stuff, but I can look at it and know exactly what time it is, right? My calendar uh, is synced across my devices, so I know exactly what day it is, and I usually know where I'm at in, in the day. We are a timekeeping society and culture, aren't we? Even the most laid back among us. The guy that's like, I don't wear a watch because I'm so laid back. He knows what time it is. He knows exactly what time it is. We know what time it is, but yet when Paul says, you know the time, he's not talking about what time it is on the, on the watch. 
or what day it is in the calendar. He's talking about a very particular kind of time. He's talking about the nature uh, of our time. Because the word time here means opportune moment. It means moment of opportunity. So it's really interesting that usually most of us know the exact minute of the day that we're living in, and yet we live unaware of our moment. We live unaware of our moment in history. The Bible, if you read it, tends to divide history into two parts. There's this age and the age to come. So there's this present sinful age, and then there's the future age of righteousness in God's kingdom. That's the division. Ephesians 1.21, you see this language. It says, Christ is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So the return of Jesus Christ someday in the future will mark the beginning of the age to come. And so just to visually help us today, we'll just say that the drum set is the return in the future of Jesus Christ. When we believe as Christians, he's coming back physically, bodily to reign forever. Drums, all right, there will be drums because drums are cool when Jesus comes back, right? That's it. So right now we're in the present age, this age. Jesus comes back, age to come. Now, that's the background. Knowing that, Paul says three things about the time here that we need to know. Look back at verse 11. Three things about the time in which we live. Besides this, you know the time, and here's the first thing, that the hour has come. Literally, the hour is already for you to wake from sleep. That's the first thing he says. So something has already happened that makes it time to get up, time to get out of bed. Even though it's dark out, something has already happened, and we ought to get up. Second thing he says, it's the very next phrase. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So time is on the march. Time is moving. Every day we get closer and closer to this thing that Paul calls salvation. The accomplishment, the completion of our salvation when Jesus comes back in the age to come. Third thing he says about the time. Next phrase. The night is far gone the day is at hand, meaning the night is almost over, the day is near. And when Paul uses the word day here, he's alluding to the day of the Lord. He's alluding to the return of Christ. Uh, And he's saying it hasn't come yet, it's not yet come yet, and yet it's near is what he's saying. So something has already happened that we ought to wake up. The hour has come already, and something has not yet come, but it's near. Now, I want to see if I can sum up what Paul is saying about the time here by Uh, by giving you a little visual. When Jesus came over 2,000 years ago, one of the things he said was, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. What he meant was the age to come was at hand. And so when Jesus came, let's just say that Micah's music stand is the first coming of Jesus. When Jesus came the first time, here's the first coming, second coming. When he came the first time, the kingdom of God entered the world. Uh, The kingdom of God was inaugurated, not consummated, but it came into the world even though it did not fully uh, come into the world. When Jesus came into the world the first time, uh, you could say that he, in a sense, pulled some of the age to come, a taste of the age to come into this present age. 
At his first coming, he pulled some of the the brightness and the daytime and the light of, of the age to come into the darkness and the night of this present age so that there was an overlap of the ages. In Jesus, we have an overlap of the ages. I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I was out at John Griffin's ranch, and um, we got up early one morning while it was still dark. It was, the sun was still out, and we were going to drive across the ranch while it was dark out uh, to this other part of the ranch, and we were going to go on this utility vehicle that had no headlights. And I had been on these little roads that weren't really roads the day before when it was light out, and uh, they're not really, they're like windy, hilly, just bumpy, narrow, dirt paths that we were going to, and I'm like, John. Like, how are you going to see where you're going? And he goes, oh, there'll be plenty of light. Even though the sun's not up, there'll be plenty of light. We'll be able to see where we're going. Because dawn happens before the sunrise, right? There's always light before the sun comes up. When Jesus came the first time, it was the dawn of the age to come. And when he came, he drew some of the light of the age to come into this age. When he comes again, it'll be the sunrise taking us into the full light of day of the age to come. But for now, when Paul says time, you understand and know the time, he means that you and I live in here, right? We live in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. We live in this overlap of the ages. So how would you characterize our time? Well, our time is a time of continuing darkness, But it's also a time of coming light, of certain light. Like when you have the dawn, then the sunrise is certain. You can't stop the sun from coming up. It's coming up whether you want it to or not. And we had the dawn and the coming of Jesus. We will have the sunrise. And and when Jesus comes back again, the sun will be up in full. It's guaranteed that he's coming back because the dawn has already happened. And he's going to explode onto the scene like the full light of day. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible says this, night will be no more and will need no lamp and will need no sunlight for the Lord God himself will be our light. Isn't that great? But for now, we live in this overlap uh, of the ages and it's, and it's still dark out. So we live in tension between these two points, between the already and the not yet. Jesus is already, uh, God has already in Christ done everything necessary to secure our salvation and the redemption of the world, except he's not yet done one thing. He's already come in the flesh. He's already lived the perfect life. He's already died for our sins. He's already been buried. He's already risen from the dead bodily. He's already ascended into heaven. He's already seated at the right hand of God. He's already sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us and to lead his church in his mission. There's only one thing left to accomplish our redemption. Only one thing left on God's calendar, right? And we're living in here right up against the cusp of it. We're right, everything has already happened except for that one thing, and we are right here. And if that doesn't heighten your senses, I don't know what. Paul's saying that ought to wake you up. Like when you, when you wake up on a morning, if you have a big event on your calendar, and you wake up that morning and you're so excited because you're excited, don't you just want to get out of bed? Because the day has arrived and you're excited. What Paul is saying is you live in this time right up against the last big event on God's calendar. Get up. Wake up. It's exciting. I, uh, I can't get enough of uh, those um, soldiers coming home videos. You know what I'm talking about? 
when they, you know, a soldier's coming back from their tour of duty and they surprise their family, you know. And I love those videos. And I, in fact, on Friday afternoon, I was watching a few of those because I was thinking about this. And I'm just up in the office by myself, like tears running down my face, right? And uh, I know what's coming because I've watched all of those videos and yet they get me uh, every time. And I think it's because there's something about watching, witnessing, longing fulfilled, right? There's something about witnessing anticipation of someone to see the one they love coming true and fulfilled. And so you might have a wife who's apart from her husband because he's over in Afghanistan and and they are married. They are joined together. Their bond is inseparable. Uh, And they may be even talking on, on the phone or on Skype. You can't separate their relationship and yet they're apart. And until the day that she sees him face to face, she longs, right? She waits. She anticipates. And then when the day draws near for him to come home, she can hardly contain herself. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's like, wake up. The day is near. The day is at hand. Get excited. Get out of bed. Because, according to verse 11, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It, there's a finite amount of time in here, and, it's, and we're getting closer and closer every day. And John Piper says that phrase, salvation is nearer than when we first believed, that's a word of hope for all of us as Christians. This is what Piper says. I love this. He says, we groan under the incompleteness of our salvation. Of course, our sins are already forgiven. Our guilt is already removed. We're already justified. Our condemnation is already gone. But salvation is so much more than this. Salvation is being done with sin. It's being done with disease. Salvation is being done with discouragement and depression. And most of all, salvation is being done with seeing Christ only in a mirror dimly. Salvation is finally and fully seeing him face to face. And Paul says, every day of your groaning life, you're getting closer and closer and closer to that greatest thing of all, Christ, our final salvation. Understanding our time means we know the kind of time we're living in. It's an overlap of the ages. It's an already not yet time. And we can live in between the tension of these two points. Things have already begun to change, but they're not yet what they will be. The reason we can live in that tension is because we're certain that the day is near. But Paul says it's not just enough to understand our times. He also says we've got to live in light of our times. Live in light of the time. Look at verse 12. Romans 13, verse 12. He says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then... And there's our transition in this, in this, in this passage. Uh, in light, so then, in light of what the kind of time that you're living in, uh, I'm going to call you to do something in, in the present. Remember, remember in Romans 12.1, uh, Paul said, in light of the past mercy of God, uh, live differently in the present, offer yourself to God. Now he's pointing us to the future and say, in light of the future mercy of God, the return of Christ, do something differently uh, in the present. Now what are we to do? Verse 12, again, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So this is wardrobe language, it's clothing language. He says, take off the deeds of darkness and lay them aside. Just hang them up, throw them on the floor, whatever you do with them, lay them aside and put on uh, the armor of light. So the call here is not just to wake up, 
The call is not just to get out of bed. The call is to actually get dressed, right? And, and to get dressed appropriately, uh, to, put on, uh, to put on your day clothes, to put on the clothes that are appropriate for the occasion. You don't go to work in your PJs, right? It's, it's, that's not the appropriate thing to wear to work. Although I did have a friend one time who uh, worked from home, and uh, he usually worked in his boxers. He'd just roll out of bed and start working. Right? So if you went over to his place at like 1 in the afternoon, he'd be there at the computer in his boxers because he just felt more productive that way. Uh, what Paul is saying is don't do that. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you about that guy. Put your day clothes on is what he's saying. Specifically, he says, put on the armor of light. It literally means the weapons or the, the instruments of light. Now, what does he mean by that? I think to get at the meaning, we've got to look at a parallel passage. Keep your thumb in uh, Romans 13 and flip about 40, 50 pages over to the right to 1 Thessalonians 5. I want you to see this. 1 Thessalonians 5. This this text is the, is the clearest parallel passage to what we've been looking at. He's going to show us what the armor of light is. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So there's that day, the day that's at hand. Down in verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since you belong to the day, let us be sober. And then here comes the the armor. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So there's two pieces of armor that he mentions, uh, the, brace, the breastplate, which is faith and love, and then the helmet, which is hope, specifically hope uh, and salvation. And so the armor that the children of light wear is faith, hope, and love. So if you flip back to Romans 13 and look at, at, at verse 12 again, knowing what we know now, it would read like this, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on faith, hope, and love. Now, isn't it interesting that the two pieces of armor that Paul mentions are the breastplate and the helmet? Uh, They are not offensive weapons. Uh, They are defensive weapons. They protect your chest and they protect your head, right? So they protect your heart, your emotions, your affections, your loves. They protect your mind, your reason, your will, your volition, your discernment, your wisdom, your knowledge, The present age, the time that we live in, I would say it's coming after you. It it is coming after us, and it is trying to conform us into its image. It is trying to mold us into its pattern, and it's coming after our head and its heart, in our hearts. Uh, It's trying to lull us back to sleep. You know, even though we've been awakened, it's kind of saying, you know, you know what? Just go back to sleep. Just put your PJs back on. Just get comfy because all there really is is this present age. So you might as well just give yourself to this present age. You might as well just love the things of this present age and get really comfortable in this age. 
right? You might as well just think about things in terms of this present age. Just think in terms of the headlines. That's all you need to know. And to this, God says no. God says in light of the fact that the age to come has broken into this present age, uh, dress appropriately. Put on faith, hope, and love. Put on faith uh, in the salvation that Jesus brings. Put on faith in his work. Put on hope in his future coming. Put on love uh, for his person. Put on the armor of light. Now, what will it look like if we wear this armor of light, our daytime clothes? What will it look like a changed life? We'll live differently. Look at verse 13. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. In other words, so he says, walk properly as in the daytime. In other words, live as if the day of the Lord has already come. Like, live as if Jesus has already come back, as if Jesus is already here in the flesh, reigning as king, and we're just basking in the glory of his presence, just soaking up the rays of his grace and love toward us. If he had come back, if he were here, how would you live? What would you give yourself to? How would you treat your body? How would you treat others? How would you spend your time? And Paul gives three examples of things that you wouldn't give yourself to if Jesus had already come back, if, it was, if the day had arrived. He says you wouldn't give yourself to wild parties and drunkenness. He uses this word orgies. It's, it's really the word wild parties or carousing. You wouldn't give yourself to carousing and drunkenness. You wouldn't give yourself to sexual immorality and sensuality. And you wouldn't give yourself to quarreling and jealousy. And as I thought about it this week, I thought it's interesting that Paul chose those three things when he wanted to illustrate what it looked like to walk in darkness. He chose substance abuse or gluttony related to substances. He chose sexual immorality, and he chose sins in our social relationships, didn't he? Because there's something about these three that are all self-serving and temporal. Like when you're engaged in those things, you're not loving God and loving other people. You're serving yourself in a very temporal way. When you get drunk, you're, uh, you're just numbing yourself, right? You're kind of going back to sleep, but it's just a temporary numbing ourselves from reality. If we engage in sexual immorality, we're taking something, one of the most beautiful gifts of God and we're using it for our own temporary pleasure. If you engage in quarreling or jealousy in your relationships with others, you are elevating yourself over them for temporary rightness, temporary status, temporary gain. John Piper made an excellent point. He said that all of these sins are unity-destroying sins. They all destroy a form of unity that God has given us. So substance abuse destroys the God-given unity of mind and body working together. Sexual immorality destroys destroys the God-given unity of the marriage covenant because sex points. It's not something we just do whatever we want with. It's this beautiful gift that points to the intimate union of husband and wife. And quarreling and jealousy destroys the unity of the church, the unity of God's community. These These are shameful things. These are not things that we would do if Jesus were standing right here. These are things that we would do under the cover of darkness. Paul says, don't do those anymore. Walk properly as in the daytime. Now, how do we do that? We come to the last verse, verse 14. 
Verse 14, I think, is not only a summary of what God is calling us to, it's actually the, it's, it's the only way to do it. It's the only way to live it out. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's that clothing illustration again. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So starting with the second half of the verse, he says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All the flesh is is just self operating independently of God. The flesh is just my self-interested self. It's my fallen human nature that's choosing to do life apart from God. Now, as a Christian, I've already been delivered from the penalty of sin. I've already been delivered from the power or the dominion of sin, but I have not yet been delivered from the presence of sin yet. So I live in here, I live in this tension. And so my flesh, my sinful flesh, is still hanging around, not eradicated, and it's hungry. It has great desires, and Paul's saying, don't provide for it. Like, don't feed it. Starve the flesh, because the flesh doesn't want to do what God wants to do. And instead, he says, instead of feeding the flesh, he says we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in the first part of that verse, meaning clothe yourself with the light of the world. Because you're children of light, it makes sense that you would put on him who is the light. So put on his righteousness, put on his character, put on his life, death, and resurrection by faith. Galatians 3.27 All who were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. In other words, when you became a Christian, you were given a new set of clothes. He he clothed you in himself. And what he's saying here is keep wearing those clothes. They look good on you. They look great on you. In fact, they're the only appropriate attire for the occasion. The day is near. Uh, The night's almost over. Wear me. St. Augustine um, was one of the most important theologians in the history of the church. Uh, And when Augustine was a young man, uh, it was said that his life was sort of characterized by loose living. He's he's in all kinds of stuff. He was always looking for something to satisfy him. He was looking for meaning in life. And he would attach himself to these teachers and philosophers and follow them for a time. And then he'd become a disillusion with their teaching because he thought, you know, I'm, I'm not getting meaning from what they're saying. And there was a period in his life where he was teaching rhetoric in, in the city of Milan. And um, he went to hear the Bishop of Milan preach, a guy named St. Ambrose. And because the only reason he went to hear him is because he had heard Ambrose was like an eloquent, gifted speaker. And he was like, I want to hear that guy. And so he went to hear him. Uh, but when, when Ambrose preached, it wasn't just that he heard eloquence. He actually heard the word of God and began to shape Augustine's view of the Bible. And when he was 31 years old in the year 386... Uh, He was spending time in Milan, and uh, one day he was outside, and he heard some kids playing, and these kids were singing this song. And the lyrics to the song were, take up and read, take up and read, or pick it up and read it. And he was like, I've never heard that song before, and he thought it was just part of their game. And then he thought, you know what, I wonder if God is like saying something to me. I wonder wonder if I'm supposed to listen to this. I wonder if God wants me to actually read something in the Bible. And so he went and he found a copy of the scriptures and he opened it. And to the first place he opened it, he began to read. And this is what he read when he opened the scriptures. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires 
of the flesh. And as he read that scripture, Augustine said he felt like his heart was flooded with light. And he became a Christian. That was his conversion in this text that we've been looking at today. One of the greatest theologians the church has ever known. He turned away from his life of sin and he turned to Jesus. And the next Easter he was baptized. He was clothed in Christ. And later as he reflected on this experience, his conversion experience, he wrote this prayer, which most of you have heard before. He wrote, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are forever restless until they find their rest in you. See, Augustine had finally found it, the deep satisfaction he'd looked for. He had find, he'd found the rest he was looking for in Jesus, both for this age and for the age to come. And we're just like Augustine. We, you know, just like Paul. We live in the overlap of the ages. Jesus has already come and inaugurated his kingdom, but he's not yet come back uh, to consummate it, to fulfill it. And what this text tells us today is, as you wait for Jesus, wear him. As you wait for Jesus, wear him so that others might see him and find their rest in him too. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.